Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kezite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barna, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barna to spy out the land I brought him, word about as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which the foot has uh, trotted shall be my inheritance for you and your children forever, because I have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these forty-five years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, this day I am 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as strong as, oh, sorry. Strength now is as my strength was then. And war for going and coming. So now, Give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Ankham were there in the great uh, fortress city. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron and Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kezizite on this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, for, uh, the name of Hebron, formerly as Kadesh Arba, Arba was the greatest man among the Achams. Then the land had rest from war. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's try one more time. Take two. All right. Good morning, church. It's like my first time coming up here. You know, that's what it feels like. Uh, For those of you that are viewing online, thanks so much for tuning in. I didn't turn my pack on. And so uh, excited to be here, though. My name's Corey, one of the pastors here on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor for the next uh, few weeks. And so uh, if you're tuning in online or if you're here with me uh, today, let me just remind you that here at Heights Community, we're about three things. Uh, That's about the gospel. It's about community. uh, It's most certainly about mission. And the primary way that we walk this out, gospel community mission, is through what we call missional communities. And so if you're not yet plugged into an MC, feel free to uh, get with anybody on stage. We'd love to talk you through that. You can fill out a connection card, which has our vision very simply laid out. If you're online, you can do uh, online digital connection cards or leave comments, and we would love to get you plugged in uh, in a way that's just, um, that's not just, uh, rather, on Facebook or during this time here uh, together. And so 
Uh, what I want to do is um, I want to I want to pray. Um, I've had a, a little bit of an interesting week. We'll say okay. I'm going to share some of it. I like I overshare with you guys. Okay, if it's ever TMI, just somebody yell out TMI. Okay, and we'll I'll dial it back for the next week. Um, but I want to pray. I want to get into the sermon. Uh, as you heard, it's a difficult text. Where we're at in Joshua, as I mentioned last week, this next nine chapters, six chapters, is like some of the most difficult texts that we could preach. Uh, fortunately, they gave them all to me. So uh, in that, I'm going to pray because I need it. Okay, because we. We need it, uh, and then we're going to dive in, man, and we're going to crush this thing uh, for Jesus. So God, thanks so much for allowing us to be the church. Uh, we thank you for your word, Lord. It's, it's not always easy. Uh, names aren't easy. Cities aren't easy to uh, pronounce, you know, and it's tough uh, to set in this Old Testament text, 3,500 years old, uh, and yet we know, Lord, that the whole text is about you being faithful to your promise, uh, to send land, to send people, to send a Messiah, and we stand on this side of the cross. And so, God, I pray that as we enter into this narrative about Joshua and Caleb, that it would be real, uh, that it would be exciting, that we would actually feel what they felt, that that the same spirit that was there present with them, Lord, that he would just be present with us today. God, we need you to do that. As always, I pray, Lord, that you would slow my own thoughts, my own emotions and feelings. God, help me be attentive uh, to your word. Even in this moment, if there's something new, God, just, just give that to me, and I'll share it. Uh, I pray, God, that, that we'd be attentive to your spirit as we just prayed. And I pray the same for those that are here, Lord, that, that we would just come under the authority of your word. Uh, help usher us further into your presence today. As always, we, we pray as a family that we might lose track of time. I pray all this in the sweet name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. amen. So we're currently in this series uh, that, we've tiled, that we've titled, Lest We Turn. And what we're looking at essentially is what happens Whenever the people of God turn from God, look what happens in Israel. And we haven't seen much of that in Joshua, but we're going to see a whole lot of that when we get to Judges, okay? And, and we're also simultaneously then looking at not, not just what happens when you turn from the Lord, but what, what also happens like when you turn to the Lord. Whenever they do turn in faith, what, what happens? What is God doing to the, with the people um, of Israel, with his people? And so the way that I like to kind of sum this up is, is with one simple big idea for you, if you could throw it up for me, Miss Kelly. And you have two ways whenever you come to God, when you choose to follow God, there's really two ways that you can follow him. Uh, You can follow him in one way that says, my life for me. Or you can follow him in a way that says, my life for you. And what I mean by that is this, is that there are a lot of people who profess faith in Jesus and a lot of people who will say that they're Christians, but sometimes, and even more often than not, depending on the circles that people run in, these pronounced Christians or self-proclaimed Christians, what they've actually done is they've said, I'm going to follow God because they think it gets them something, but it doesn't actually get them anything. It just gets them further disconnected from the Lord, right? And so at that point, they're not following God at all. They're just following themselves. They're not worshiping God at all. They're just worshiping themselves. Or you have the, the second option of that, which would be my life for you. Versus my life for me, my life for you, which is what God demonstrated in his son. We just sing about it and read about it, and it brought Jeff to tears, as it should, yeah? And so we can say, my life for you. Everything is on the table. I'm holding everything with hands like this. Lord, it is all yours, my kids, my family, my job, my vocation, all of it. It's all yours. I just want you. I just want to be in your presence let me tell you what, I failed at that this week. Let me tell you. You guys want to get into my week with me? I'm trying to be as transparent as I can be the last two weeks here. First off, my toddler's daycare got shut down until Thursday. You thought somebody shot my dog the way I responded to that. 
I mean, I responded so poorly to that. Heaven forbid someone make me watch my own child, right? How are you going to put me in a position to make me parent my own kid, right? That's like where my sin was. I was like the audacity of God to break the main line of plumbing at this spot. And now I have to watch my child. What am I saying? My life for me or my life for you? My life for me. Right? I was beside myself, angry, mad, frustrated. I cursed COVID. Man, I'm going to start a ministry that's called Cursing COVID. Just a safe space. You can just come and just whatever you need to say, you can say. Don't put it on Facebook because then it's for everyone. Okay, just, just for us. And then we had to go get COVID tests on Thursday. Uh, we tested negative. We had to go get tests for a Mexico trip that we've had to cancel twice because of COVID that we may or may not get to go on. And on my way to get this test, church, on my way, my wife's already laughing. On my way, you will not, this baby that I love for the most part all the time, okay? <laughs> I go in to get it. We have 15 minutes. Like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to get the baby, babe. I'll meet you in the van. No big deal. I go in. This baby has taken his diaper off full of poo, and just flung it everywhere. It's all over his face. It was all over the bed. It was on the wall. He's just sound asleep. This poo-flinging baby. And what do I say? I'm like, freaking COVID, right? Like, the day, if the daycare wouldn't have been, you know, would have done their job, right? I wouldn't be in here parenting right now. And so, dude, just a, my life for me versus my life for you. I lost my Mind, And then check this out. Then I'm driving to Walgreens. And you throw this picture up for me. This is the car that was in front of me on the way to Walgreens. It said asylum on it. And I thought, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> okay, it's time. It's time. It's like asylum three. It's like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all right there, right? Dude, I lost my mind. And yet, man, here's the, here's the deal. The last eight months have God has used the last eight, 10 months now, I guess, to reveal just how much, just how often we say, my life for me. Like God has exposed so many things that we just find inconvenient. They just tend to kind of mess up our little kingdom. So the big idea, my life for me versus my life for you, the reality is this though, like God is first and foremost about his glory and you looking more like Jesus by any means necessary. God is always going to be about his glory and our looking more and more and more like Jesus by any means necessary. It could be COVID or it could be a poo-flinging baby, right? He's going to get the message across that we need him and put us in a posture of submission before him. So big idea, my life for me versus my life for you. Hopefully I can press this out as we look at Caleb and we look at Joshua's relationship. I have three points for you that I want you to see if you could throw them up for me one by one. Wait confidently. Uh, confidently upon the promise, point one, point two, let the promise give you strength, point three, experience the blessings of the promise. If you're a note taker, that's for you. If you're online, they'll come up on the screen for you here in a little bit. Let's start with this first one. Lord, help us. Wait confidently upon the promise. You ready? Say ready. ready. I'm going to read it again. Then verse six, then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. That's the city outside of Canaan where they were looking into Canaan. Verse seven, I was, four, or, yeah, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Verse eight, but my brothers, that's Israel, who went up with me 
sorry, the 10 other spies who went up with Caleb and Joshua. But my brothers who went up with me, may the heart of the people melt. Yet, read this with me. Yet I what? Holy follow the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. In spite of all of that, how does Caleb respond? He wholly followed the Lord his God. Verse nine, and Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land of which your foot has trodden, of which you've walked, shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And so, okay, the, in the story here, we have Caleb now is addressing Joshua, and now Joshua and Caleb, they've been storming these cities for land and a promise of a Messiah. If you remember from last week, you can sum up all the Bible really in that. What is God's promise? What are the promises of God? Well, he's promised land, he's promised a people, and he's remember when that happened. Right? If, if we were to read, I was inherit this land. You're going to get to experience the promise fulfilled. And so Caleb is coming to Joshua now, and he's sent two of the 12 spies that had to go in. And then we were like, they're nothing in comparison to who God is. And then we went back to the people of Israel. And he said, Israel, we can take these giants. But the other 10 spies said, no, you can't. We'll fail. And so the 10 spies were scared. They led the people of Israel to be fearful. It says their hearts melted, not in a good way. Their hearts melted in fear, not in faith. And check this out, right here in the beginning of this text, and this, this is like this reminder here, right here, Caleb is saying, my life for me. He, uh, my life for you, sorry, my life for you. He's revealing the contrast between my life for me versus my life for you. Were, were the other uh, 10 spies, where they ran in fear and caused the others to fear, what were they saying? They were saying, my life for me. It's not worth it. I'm not going to go. I know the, the fruit looks incredible. The land looks beautiful. We know God has promised it, but it's just too scary. It's too inconvenient. We might die if we go there. Surely that's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want to look at this giants, man, and they were like, that's nothing. Like they looked in the giants and they saw passage and they said, my life for you. I'm all in on taking the land of Canaan. Else in their sin and disobedience and say, what were you thinking? Like, it's your fault that we're not in the land of Canaan. And so Caleb, like, in his faithfulness, does not start the blame game. He isn't looking around at all of you. Like, Caleb didn't do anything wrong. Joshua didn't do anything wrong. They were standing there saying, my life for you, while all of Israel was saying, no, 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 my life for me. And what they don't do is go to their brothers and sisters and say, the audacity. Who do you think you are? Now, in that, I think that there is maybe a pastoral moment here to, to ask a question. And the, and the question is this, is it, in light of the story, is it possible, though, that you've surrounded yourself with people who will keep you from experiencing the promises of God more fully? This is his family, right? The people of Israel. You're talking about friends. We're talking about family. We're talking about brothers. We're talking about sisters here in the text. Let me ask it: are there people in your life, mm, are there people in your life who you've looked at and said, my life for you? instead of looking at Jesus and saying, my life for you. And in effect, what you're actually saying to them is, my life for me, because you've put them above Jesus. Like the best and most beneficial way we can love someone is by putting Jesus above them, not below them. And so here's the reality of what the text exposes to me is that whenever we look at someone, we look at a relationship, when you look at your children, when I look at my kids, when we look at a vocation, when we look at anything else, and we say, my life for you instead of my life for you in reference to Jesus, but we say, my life for you, kids, my life for you, wife, my life for you, significant other, my life for you, vocational possibility, my life for you, what you've actually said in that moment is, my life for me. 
Worship me. Make me feel a certain way. I deserve to feel a certain way. I love you to receive certain things from you. I work hard to receive things from you. It's in, in effect, it is not about that thing at all anymore. It's just about you. Does that make sense? That was heavy for me to swallow. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Facebook, just, you know, hit it hard or something while you're watching that. <laughs> Caleb, wholly devoted to the Lord. Listen, the Lord first, church. The Lord first. And then everything, and then everyone else. He's not devoted to his strength first. That comes second in the text. The first thing is his confidence is in the Lord. Secondly, we'll get to his strength in the next point. But first and foremost, like the text reveals his faithfulness unto the Lord and into this promise, and then everything else. And here's the thing about it. There's a lot of pastors that will come to this text, man, and they'll say something like, man, you got some giants in your life. You got some giants in your life. You got a giant of... I don't know, a vocational giant. You got a relational giant. But if you could just muster up the strength and the confidence of Caleb, then you could conquer that giant. You could get that promotion. You could get that relationship. You could get that money. Buy my book for $9.99. It has my face on it. Word from the pastor. If book has face on it, don't buy it, okay? There's so many that will come in. That's not what the text teaches you. You know what that does teach you? My life for me. I'll follow God to get what I want. I'll profess faith to get what I want. I'll pray to get what I want. I'll read to get what I want. In effect, what it does is it teaches Christians works righteousness. It teaches them my life for me. My life for me. Instead of simply calling them to step into the presence of God, that is my life for me, not my life for you. Caleb has modeled a confidence, it says, in the Lord completely, totally dedicated to this Lord for 45 years, church. He's been fixed upon this promise, fixed on the promise. Let me ask, is your first priority to be holy and solely devoted to God above everything else? Because if it's not, it doesn't really matter what season you're in. It's going to go poorly, COVID or not, right? Second thing we see here then is Caleb says, let the promise give you strength. Let this promise give you strength. First, confidence, wholly devoted. Secondly, now, let the promise give you strength. Verse 10, Kelly. It says, and now behold, verse 10, and now behold, I love all of this. The Lord has kept me alive, what? Just as he said he would, because he's faithful. These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, listen, I am this day 85 years old, Oh, listen to his passion. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Come on. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. He says, for war and for going out and doing the normal business. Verse 12. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, that's a word for giant or long neck. That would have been the, the men that they would have seen that scared them off initially. The Anakim, uh, how they were there with great fortified cities. Listen to this. What does it say? It says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. Right? So he's coming out. Let's pause for a sec. He's coming out with a great deal of confidence, right? He's saying, my strength is as it was. My faith is as it was. I'm 85 years old. I'm battle ready. We can go get this thing done. I have all the skills, all the abilities, all the giftings. I have all the strength. And it may be that the Lord will give it to me. If he so chooses to give, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has said I would. And then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron. That's that city where the giants were to Caleb. We'll come back to the rest in a minute, right? So Caleb has been given the promise of the land. 
Joshua isn't doing anything new here in the text, right? God has spoken through Moses to Joshua. He's to Caleb. So he's not doing anything new. Moses has already made this promise to him. Caleb clearly has a word from God, clearly has received a word from Moses. Here's what he doesn't do again. Caleb doesn't say, look at me and all my gifts. Like the text doesn't stop with, hey, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm incredible, I'm about to go storm these freaking gates and light those giants up because that's what's owed to me. That's not what he does, is it? But with a great deal of humility, here's what he's done. He's waited 45 years. And with a great deal of humility, in that 45 years, he goes to his brother, Joshua. He literally, he goes to the leader of his nation, the leader of the church at that time, right? The people of God of Israel. And he looks at Joshua and he says, man of God, Joshua, do you remember what was said to us when we came back? Remember, we're the only ones full of heart, the only ones full of faith. Do you remember what the Lord spoke to us? He says, I've been faithful. I've been wholly devoted. I'm strong. I'm ready to fight. I have everything necessary. I have all the good giftings. I have literally everything we need to knock these giants out. Joshua, it may be that the Lord would give me this today. And that it may be in the Hebrew is really an invitation for dialogue. And so Caleb's not coming in saying, look at me and my strengths and my power. I'm 85 years old. Remember, all tatted up, anchor tattoo on one arm, simper fire on the other. Let's go, right? Rather, he comes with a posture of humility and he says, brother, what do you think? That, that whole it may be like changes the whole section of this text. He's saying it may be that the time is now. It may be that the time is not right now. It may be that the Lord will give these giants over to us. It may be that they won't, that he won't give them over to us. He's still totally and wholly devoted to the Lord. And what I love most about it is that he goes, and he goes to his leader. And he says, what do you think? Dude, this is an incredible word for the church. Like, what if Christians specifically, what if Christians specifically stopped acting upon their own accord all the time? Like, what if Christians stopped giving in to emotion only and reason only and what made them feel good experientially only, and whenever they went to a leader, like whether a missional community leader or a covenant member or a leader in the church, and they said, hey, I'm thinking this. I feel like the Lord is calling me to this thing, this relationship, this opportunity, this. And then whenever someone responded, they actually believed them. Like when they went to the word, they're like, I don't know, man, like you might be right, but let's search the scriptures together and let's pray together. Like what if Christians actually took time to model some humble patience and to just actually listen? What if biblical leaders actually took their job serious? Like, there's nothing about Joshua here that's shallow. There's nothing about Caleb here that is shallow. These are two men that have been given to Israel, right, to to advance the mission of God, to see the promises of God fulfilled. Like, what if Christian leaders in our country actually took their job serious? Like, what if they read the Bible and spent time in prayer? I don't know about you. I know a few that don't, okay? Just my granddaddy was a pastor, and his granddaddy was a pastor, and his grand. so this is just what made sense. What if they actually took their jobs? What if we as Christians actually took our jobs serious, right? There, there are some of you in the room, man, that are desperately desiring something. Like COVID maybe has brought that out. Life has brought that out. Some sort of circumstance has brought that out. There's a desperate desire for something that you firmly believe that God has placed on your heart. Listen, it may be that God will grant you the desires of your heart. If you read Psalm 37, it's not actually about you. That's where people get that from. 
but won't God give me the desires of my heart, Pastor? Psalm 37 says that, but it doesn't say it apart from you pursuing God in pursuit of righteousness. And you pursuing God because you want to be amongst godly character. And it doesn't say that apart from you waiting patiently upon the Lord, Psalm 37. And so it may be that God will give you this. Listen here. It may be that God will not give it to you while you're here on earth. It it may be that God has put you in a position to model faith so that as we are looking at Caleb Caleb and being spurred to new faith and new affections for the Lord, so also we get to look at you here right now and be stirred to new faith and new affections for the Lord. Like, it it may be that you don't get what you're praying for. It may be that the desire of your heart has simply given you a foretaste of something far more beautiful. See, the reality about Caleb is that he's given this promise to go and defeat this Anakim, these giants. But the reality is Caleb knows whether he defeats the giants this day or not, those giants are going down. Like, whether he gets the land today or not, he's going to acquire the land in one way or another, whether he gets to expand his, um, what, his inheritance and his people and his family, there's a sweet day coming where God is going to return and he's gonna completely fulfill every single promise. So all the promises that are given to Caleb right here temporarily on earth are simply given as a, a foretaste and a foreshadowing of a far more beautiful promise. And that's that the Lord is going to come back and going to redeem the land and the people and it will be done through the hands of the Messiah. And so the question I would ask then is, how do I know then? Like, how do I know if the Lord is speaking to me or not speaking to me? How how do I know? What does that look like? I would say this. There's three ways, Kelly, if you could throw that up for me. There's three ways that I've had this conversation probably 15 times in the last month. There's three ways that we know that the Lord is going to speak to us, okay? God speaks through his word. That's the scriptures. God speaks through his people. That's the church, capital C. That's not a church building per se, or this time necessarily. It's the people of God is what I mean. Does that make sense? And then God speaks through his spirit and through prayer. Okay, so through the scriptures, God's word, through his people, like what happens now, happens in missional community, happens throughout the week, if you're walking in Christian community, or through his spirit, through, through prayer. Listen, if those three things do not line up, church, If you're watching on Facebook, if those three things do not line up, listen, he ain't saying it. He's not saying it. Because God is not inconsistent. We're inconsistent. We're hyper inconsistent. He is not. He's eternally faithful, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If those three things don't line up, listen, he ain't pin it. He didn't do it. You with me? Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about when we first started um, talking about planning a church. Uh, and I went in and I talked to Andrea, my, my wife, about planning a church. Conversation basically went like this. It went, hey, what do you think about planning a church? Nope. <laughs> All right. That was it. That was the whole conversation, right? Our first house, set in the kitchen. Nope. Okay. So here's the deal. I f- but I felt the spirit leading in that way. So now, what do, you, what do you do? I know it's biblical. Go make disciples of the nations, right? I get that it's, it's a biblical thing. Uh, but the reality is my wife, who's a very tested, godly woman, has said no, right? There's only been one time I've ever made a decision apart from my wife in 11 years. That's when I bought a dog. I'm still paying for it, okay? <laughs> it's the only time, right? And so it's not that she's trying to be over me. It's that we have to be completely together, when we make life-altering 
decisions, right? Especially when it comes to something as big as planting a church. And so I knew the spirit had called me that. I knew that it was biblical. She had said no. And so in in the reality then, then I have to start, I have to dial it back. I have to say, okay, what's the order here? The order is Jesus, wife, kids, everyone else, no exceptions. That's the order. That's the biblical order, right? Jesus, wife, kids, then everyone and everything else comes down below that. And so what I did, I just started praying and I started praying and I said, God, either take away the desire or bring us together. Either kill the desire or bring us together. Kill the desire or bring us together. It's not that big of a deal, right? Kill the desire and bring us together. Never, I didn't mention it to her again for months. I didn't mention it. I just prayed about it. Kill the desire or bring us together. And then she walked in uh, to the kitchen again, give me another pep talk. And she comes in and she says, so what does planting a church look like? I don't know. You need to go figure that out. It's a good pep talk, babe. <laughs> Feeling motivated. You need to figure that out. That's what she said to me. Okay, so now I have the word of God clearly spoken. I have the spirit of God clearly spoken. I have affirmation from the most important godly person in my life, my wife, okay? But it would still be another three years before I would actually get to stand up and preach my first sermon in a preview service. Three years. It may be that God wants to give you something right now. It may be that God is just calling you to profess faith in him first so that you can say, my life for you. My life for you. To get the presence of God first. Not the presence, not like the gifts of God, but so you can get the creator of the gifts. And then you can respond to that. And then you look at us now. What has happened in church plan? All the incredible things we've got to do just in the last year alone are unbelievable, right? Sometimes the most dangerous conversations we can have or with Christians who say, my life for me. Like Christians who live a life that say, my life for me, that's the most dangerous person you can engage. Because you know they're not going to come at you saying, go live for Jesus. They're going to say, live a life like me. Live a life of fear. Live a life of of worry. Live a life that, that where you don't actually hold everything open like this, right? Just kind of shield yourself and stay in your home. And this whole stay-at-home order that we initially started off with, that was the best thing for them. Like they weren't living on mission, they weren't pursuing godly community, they weren't, even though they have all the time in the world, they're not in their word and they're not in prayer, but rather what they're saying is, my life for me, Jesus, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever benefits me. And so the most dangerous conversation we can have is with someone who lives a life like that, right? Because the word and the spirit are never going to come together on the same thing with them. They're simply not walking it out. I share that, I would just say, choose wisely and listen carefully in conversations that you have. Like the strength of Caleb here, has never wavered. He's heard from the Lord. He has a godly brother speaking into it. He knows what he's doing is right and sound. He has this confidence for 45 years that has never wavered. Don't miss the close intimacy that comes when you live a life that says, my life for you. When you surrender everything. I mean, you let go of everything. And you say, all of it is yours, Father. You can have everything. There's an intimacy then that comes with that level of faith that we get to see modeled here in the text, and ultimately that we get to see modeled in a better Caleb that we'll get to. Last point I have for you, I'll be quick. Be blessed by this promise. Okay, Joshua blessed Caleb with the land, but God, he's not doing anything new, but he's kind of just gives him the land over. Verse 13 says this. Then Joshua blessed him, that's Caleb, and he gave him Hebron, that's where the giants were, to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, there it is, the God of Israel, 
Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kariath Arbor, which isn't super important. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakin, most importantly here, and the land had rest from war. In chapter 15, the next chapter, Caleb storms that land and kills everyone. And he takes what is rightfully his, which is pretty incredible. We don't have time to get there. Just know that it happens or read the text. We have this beautiful picture here in this story, okay? Wrap this thing up. We have this beautiful picture here in this story where we get to see a man, a godly man, a good godly dude model my life for you instead of my life for me. What we can do is we can look at this story and we can say, man, Caleb is incredible. Look at Caleb's faithfulness. Look how great he is. He's such a good godly dude. I want to be like Caleb. If we do that, we miss the point of the whole story. Are you with me? We miss the point of the whole story. Everything that's happening, everything that we want to show you to in this lest we turn and far beyond this series is that every single moment, every letter that is penned is written to point us to who Jesus is. That Jesus is the better Caleb. That Jesus is the one who's more faithful. That Jesus is the one who has a greater confidence and a greater strength. That Jesus is the one who really, literally had the whole kingdom in his kingdom and willingly surrenders his kingdom to come walk among us. I was reading 2 Corinthians 20 verse 1 and Paul says, all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So every single thing that we're going to experience in Joshua and Judges and Ruth for the rest of the year, every week we're going to point you to this reality that they're not the heroes of the story, that Jesus is the hero of the story. And Jesus, how do we know? Because he's the one that perfectly models my life for you, not my life for me. Like he surrenders everything so he can walk among us in perfection and then goes to the cross to die an innocent death that, we, that he did not deserve, that we do deserve. We live my life for me. And he looks at us and he says, I know. That's why I'm coming. That's why I came. My life for you. And he models it not just to be some sort of stereotype or some figure in history that we can look at and say, oh, that's how we should live our lives, but so that he can redeem us. Because my life for me leaves me in a cesspool of my own brokenness and depravity. It it leaves me mad at my two-year-old baby for doing what two-year-olds do. It leaves me mad at a daycare who can't help that it's cold outside and their pipes burst. My life for me shows, it reveals just how prideful and arrogant and disgusting and foul I am as a man. And then at the same time, I get to look at the cross and I can say, but Jesus being rich in mercy with the love by which he first loved me, said my life for you, son. I will model everything that you can model. I'll be the perfect father when you fail to be a perfect father. I'll be the perfect spouse when you fail to be the perfect spouse. I'll be the better pastor when you fail at being a good pastor. My life for you. And in that, we profess our faith in Jesus, most certainly not in Caleb. Amen? Amen. All right, stay with me as we go to the, uh, God's word and we prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Uh, hopefully you were able to grab a communion cup on the way in. If you were not, then you can grab one now if you want to. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians. kind of helps settle our hearts and minds here. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, Listen, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, sorry, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. A little bit of reverb for you guys. There it goes. Here's the deal. Whenever we go to communion church, we don't go to communion as a religious event. Okay? It's not something we do just to get closer to God. It's not something we do to feel better about ourselves. It's something we do to be reminded that Jesus literally said my life for you. Like as you look at that little wafer that's in, almost impossible to get to, you're reminded of body, the Christ's body that was broken for you. As you see the cup that's also somewhat impossible to get to, right, you're reminded of his blood being spilled in your place as your substitute. And as you take that in, as you ingest that in, man, it begins to form and reform you to look like Christ. Right? It, is, it tells a story again and again and again, week in and week out, that says Jesus is the one who stood up confidently and said, my life for you. Surrenders everything. And in that, as we take in communion, as we step into the presence of God and we see Jesus on the cross and we're reminded of his faithfulness and our lack of faith, man, that's what changes us. Being in the presence of God is what changes you. And then from there, all of your circumstances then start to look a little bit different. That's why we take communion. For so those of you that are in Christ, feel free to take it.